This is a Fubar Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com. Femi on Fubar Radio. There's no direct correlation between certain crimes and police numbers. 285 people have been stabbed to death last year. What extra funding is being provided to address the root causes of both knife crime and the increasing levels of violent crime on the streets of all of our towns and cities? It, it definitely is worth, worse if you're a woman, and it's worst of all if you're a coloured woman. But there, there was a report done uh, by Lord View into the amount of trolling there was, etc. And it definitely was the case that women get it more, uh, black and black and minority ethnic women get it um, additionally. We have been engaging, Mr Speaker, in focused, detailed and careful discussions with the Union. And we continue to seek legally binding changes to the backstop, which ensure that it cannot be indefinite. Mr Speaker, in January, 83% of Scottish MPs voted against the Prime Minister's deal. Isn't it the case that the Prime Minister has no mandate from Scotland? We entered the European Union as the United Kingdom. We will leave the European Union as the United Kingdom. The SNP has no mandate from the Scottish people. Welcome back to The Floor is Yours. You're here with Femi. I'm from Our Future, Our Choice, the youth movement to get a vote on the, on the Brexit deal because everybody thinks this is going to absolute hell. I'm here joined by Ken Cheng, who is a comedian and, and star of the, new, of, the new, of the new show, The Hangover Games. What's that about? Uh, hi, Femi. Thanks for having me, first of all. Um, the Hangover Games is basically it's a game show where the essential gist is that all the contestants are hungover. That's <laughs> all it is. They're, they're hungover and they have to play a lot of physical challenges that do a lot of physical challenges, mental challenges that you just wouldn't want to do hungover on a Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> sounds sounds like uh, torture, actual torture. Mm, yeah, 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 pretty much. That's what they were thinking. How can we get legitimate torture into a show? No, no, no it's been... It's, I, 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 like, I like TV shows that try to find a way around the Geneva Convention. It's, 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 it's good. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's what all TV producers are trying to do, generally. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, this is The Floor is Yours. You can, you can text it, you can... Um, Tweet in at, at Fubar Radio, email in at uh, Fubar at, at com. And so this week has been fun because um, uh, we're going to be talking about divisions in the UK, unity in the UK. And yeah, so how well, how much do you think Anne Marie, uh, it's not Anne Marie Morris, um, uh, Amber Rudd's comments about coloured people uh, have strengthened the, the, the unity of our country? Oh, it's just like. Every other story of this is there's extremes in response to it. A lot of people think it's completely fine. I was I was quite shocked out. Obviously, as a, a, a person of color, I'm definitely not on that side of things. Uh, but but you, you see it straight away on Twitter. A lot of people get in there to defend the comment or to mm. justify the comment. Uh, people find excuses around it. Yeah, I mean, for me, I have a, I have a pretty straightforward policy on this one. Um, so the word "coloured" is objectively racist, regardless of whether or not she is racist as a person. Yes. It's objectively racist on the basis that "coloured" comes from the verb "to color," um, which implies that white people are the norm, and everybody else has simply been coloured in. 
Yes. So it, it, it creates a degree of hierarchy in terms of races. So it's objectively um, racist. And there's, you could even, I could even, you could even pretty much say the same thing about the term pe- person of color, yes. which is why I, pref- I prefer, if, you, if you're yeah. going to, like a, a person, someone from an ethnic minority, if you want yeah. to say something, something like that, that would work fine. But I think you tweeted um, earlier that it's not just the colored comment that makes her racist. It's, uh, well, what did you, what did you say? <laughs> I'm, trying to remember. I'm saying it's the the years of her as home secretary enacting racist policies uh, and rhetoric that have yeah. fueled the fans the, of she's of the one that said British jobs for British people yep. yeah not exactly promoting yep. um, unity yeah the terms the term hostile environment comes to mind and all the mm. just the she, she had to resign because of the things she did and mm. yeah essentially it, it's like if it was just the person who slipped up, like say you were talking to someone and they slipped up, you could forgive them. Mm. But it would be a different situation from a, a politician on a public forum say, slipping up, but also having this backstory to it. Yeah, it, it doesn't doesn't really yeah. help. But I mean, she's not exactly the first um, Tory MP to say something like that. I mean, uh, you had Anne-Marie Morris in 2017 using the phrase nigger in the woodpile. Mm. Um, yeah. And what people don't know is that's not even the first time a Tory MP has actually said that. In 2008, a Tory, a Tory peer, David Cameron had to go at a Tory, Tory peer because a Tory peer said in the middle of a House of Lords debate um, the phrase nigger in the woodpile. So apparently that's just like common conservative language. Mm. <laughs> um, but and obviously it's not just the Tory party. La- the Labour has mm. its um, anti-Semitism concerns as well. Yeah. Um, so it seems that... As much as we take, try to think we're progressing as a society, we seem, seem to keep having these hang-ups, which is unfortunate. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what it is that elevates it more. It seems like it's happening more and more recently. Or is that, is that actually it is happening more recently? Or, or that we've become more aware of it because of social media now and because the media is now picking up more? Yeah. That's the question. It's actually... are we. Are we are we regressing or is it just the same? But now we're more aware of it, and maybe that's overall better. I don't know. Um, I mean, you're 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 a stand-up. Do you do you deal with race a lot in, in oh, your in your? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I've, I've become much more. Uh, more. Most of my stuff is a lot of my stuff has become more about race recently, and mm. and actually that's been a big problem because I'm I t- I'm touring this show. Actually, division in the UK comes quite comes quite apparent when I've started doing the gigs outside of London and Edinburgh, which mm. is essentially where most comedians start off. Mm. A lot of comedians basically do those two places. And and you find that people just have just a completely different, just a, a, a completely different culture around talking about race. They don't just don't have the same conversations about it. They don't know the same thing. So they're not like, they're not in, intentionally like, they're, they're not like, yeah, it's, they just don't get when I'm talking about race. When I'm talking about like, maybe I'm telling a story about a racist thing someone said to me. Yeah. They just don't understand why that's bad. Yeah, they they, might, mean, they, they, they just don't, can't fathom the world where okay, this is this situation is is something we're used to dealing with. You, I mean, that's that's the thing. I mean, there's this there's this off, there's this common argument that you get of um, you can't um, people saying you can't talk about this because you're not of the of, of the right of the right race. But there is an element of if you haven't experienced it. You don't know what it's like. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, you, you've, as you, as as it says on your, on your Twitter bio, you are you you um, you are the star of the TV, of the radio sh- radio show um, Chinese, Chinese comedian. comedian. Yeah, that was my um, first radio series. Yeah, and to what extent would you say that 
racism towards Chinese people or people of Chinese descent is still an issue? And, and how much do you feel it on a, on a, on a regular basis? Oh, yeah, no, definitely. You, st- you definitely feel it on a re- regular basis. On, online, I get a lot of people referencing that. If they disagree with me, they always incite race, my mm. race. Um, but, yeah, the, the racism towards Chinese is just is so different from the other races. It's, it's kind of... The kind of Chinese people are just kind of treated as the harmless ones, but then that racist, yeah, they're like, yeah. The, they're like the ones over there, and like they yeah. don't, they're not bothering us. They they make a lot of money. They yeah. they they do like a lot of them do do professional jobs. They don't they don't have the same kind of yeah, vibe. It's, it's as a different immigrants. like it's a different structure of stereotypes. Yeah, to, um, exactly. So the, the stereotypes are just are just like are bad, but they're not the same. Like people mm. don't fear fear Chinese people. Mm. They instead they kind of like leave them aside and then and also like people are quite happy joking about Chinese stereotypes in a way they aren't in other things I think a lot of even like woke people are quite happy to have a different vibe about joking about Chinese culture yeah it's true I mean you have, each, each, each race has their, has their own stereotypes yeah. I mean but I mean there's a comedian which, which I quite like who um, talked about a black, a black comedian who went through a whole list of all the, all the stereotypes um, uh, against, against black people and then when he got to, um, to penis size he then said some stereotypes I can live with <laughs> <laughs> well with, with us with Chinese people it's like good at maths and stuff like that yeah. nice kung fu those kind of things mm. and like yeah, yeah some of them are like quote-unquote positive stereotypes mm. as in they're saying we're good at this thing but it's still not yeah not it's, it's, it still creates a false expectation yeah, definitely. like we're all supposed to be maths 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 prodigy, prodigies yeah. and play the violin or whatever yeah exactly um so yeah the, the show that the show the hangover debuts on uh well it debuted on the 26th 26th of february yeah so you've um, had two episodes so far and yeah. the next one's on the tuesday the 12th Yes, yes, yes. Tuesday twelfth. Yeah, that's the third episode. It's, we we filmed actually. This is, yeah, we filmed everyone in a different city, which was actually a logistical night. <laughs> I don't know why why we chose to do that. We had to travel for each shoot. You like the question time of torture? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it was like yeah, they were pop up studios and just like bars and pubs and, and hotels and stuff. And so this one's in Leeds. And mm. yeah, no, you got to. That was probably the first time I got to see a lot of new places in the uk mm. and start realizing okay these there's a lot of little quirks about these areas that don't don't really yeah well i mean we, one of the reasons why politics is in such a mess right now is because there's very little effort made to reach mm. out to other parts of the country yeah, from totally. those who control the media in in london yeah yeah it's the london centric media and just culture has mm. just been the problem for like don't know forever <laughs> for 40 years maybe yeah you can, i mean you can trace that back and it's just become worse and worse and it doesn't get any better which which just feels feels divisions i mean for, for the for the for the show you do you like do you yourself get drunk for the mm. for the purpose of the drink. show i don't drink None you of don't the, drink no i don't drink i'm there as a so i'm kind of like the kind of voice of reason kind of <laughs> there to do and also I, i'm a bit of like the richard osman kind of figure and pointless you know just I'm what? on the desk. Do you drink like, in general, though? No, I don't drink in general. Okay, actually, yeah. then we have so, that in common. I don't drink at all. Either. I don't okay. drink at all. Yeah, so you, you run a show about getting yeah. drunk and you don't drink. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, I mean, I, um, I, 
I haven't drunk since I was 12 um, mm. because um, 12 okay when did you start <laughs> well, well uh, this sounds really bad my parents used to make me um, yeah, okay. uh, like yeah. at, at special occasions and and, uh, and birthdays and stuff yeah. but uh, after that there's quite a lot of parents who do do that they're like yeah. okay we might as well get them on a bit early so yeah. they, they they don't go crazy when they hit 18 and yeah I know my parents actually literally sat me down when I was like um, 18 and just like and these are two doctors and they was like Femi, Femi, I think you need to let your hair down a little bit. I mean, <laughs> you... Maybe, maybe try weed? <laughs> <laughs> good doctor. Good doctor. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, apparently I, I, I took the whole good child thing a bit too far. Yeah. Um, so, in this week, we've had issues regarding knife crime. Yeah. Uh, Theresa May says that the rise in knife crime has nothing to do with um, the cuts to policing. Um, mm. As if crime and police have no ties at all, <laughs> um, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, and you had the young girl who was stabbed in the back, um, who has well, it caused people on Question Time last night to say that oh, now it's become a national emergency. Right? Yeah, because that's the thing. I was like, <laughs> wait, why is it only just been talked about this week? Yeah. Why is it suddenly now? Well, what is there specifically yeah. about this particular yeah. girl? Yeah, this and like this, like it's knife crime has been what the figures year on year have been like pretty high for the last 10 years and uh yeah and now suddenly oh okay now it's it's the thing we talk about for a week and then we'll move on to the next yeah it's yeah we have we there's definitely a double standard on 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 this thing which isn't particularly helpful i mean yeah yeah it was yesterday there was a teenager stabbed in west london west kensington yeah while another man was attacked within the city two days ago someone was stabbed to death in east london and leighton um london london has seen 24 homicides since the start of 2019 Wow, okay. Six teenagers have emerged in, in, in London, uh, and of all of them have died of stab, stab wounds. This is a problem that has existed and yeah. is getting worse. Yeah. Um, and, and as was pointed out, um, as it keeps pointing out, we, we had we had this discussion a few weeks ago, well, a couple of months ago, with uh, drill minister, um, and he just, just made the point: if you don't invest in mm. things that like youth centres and and places that people can actually go to and ha- engage in their yeah. community in a productive way. They're going to turn to other things. Yeah. Um, if if they if you have po- poverty, the, t- the ties between poverty and crime are so obvious that it's ridiculous to suggest that um, things like austerity, things like yeah. um, la- lack of funding for education, haven't had a direct impact on the impact on the level of crime and therefore the level of knife crime that we're seeing. Yeah, no, totally. And it's just, it's ridiculous. Like, yeah, I watch a bit of that question time and, and politicians can just go on there and say anything they want. They can say, oh, this is nothing to do with police or police is, is it's not the issue with money. It's the issue with how inefficiently police is run. And so like, they, they can just say anything, just move on. And hmm. it's not until the election that things can change. And even then, the election can only do so much. So it's like, what? People are, yeah, it's just one of many many issues of the government which where they're just dropping the ball and they can continue to until something eventually you know well i mean i mean and the thing that we're we're seeing when the the reasons why the brexit vote happened i mean you you can pretty much trace uh where the remain vote was based on where there were pret-a-manger's if you (laughs) if you you were and the it's the poor areas of the countries that vote vote for brexit the tie between austerity and the and the, and the impact on people's feeling of unity in the uk i mean our country is geared towards london Mm. Even this effort, this so-called effort to make the country less London-centric, HS2. HS2, yeah. I mean, I mean for yeah. fuck's sake. That, yeah. that is basically a train from everywhere to London. Yes. Which 
by definition makes us more London centric. Mm. Exactly. Um, and yeah. even when you even when you look at the, the the stage two of things, it's still like from um, from northern northern cities down. down to, no, nothing no, east west. No, no, it's impossible to get across. I've, I've yeah. I mean, I, I had to take a. Uh, um, I, I've been to Edinburgh twice in the last in the last year, and both times I wanted to go down to Sheffield to see my parents. Right, um, and then, uh, but then I realised that it actually cost more to go from Edinburgh to Sheffield than from Edinburgh to London. Yeah, bloody hell. Yeah, no, exactly. Our, our country, there's just the lack of infrastructure. Is mm. it's just something that everyone dropped the ball. Like it's not even a party thing. Mm. Everyone dropped the ball for the last four years. It's like no one even thought about it no one cared our whole culture didn't really care about it like 20 years ago no one was talking about these things that need to be solved then and now now we're seeing it all come apart and it's yeah no it's, it's hard to know what how we stop this because we, we're talking about unity and then it's just getting wider and wider yeah. and how what, what is the what is the solution at the this solution stage? has to be investment in yes. those areas because yeah. if you live in Sunderland, Hull, Swansea. I mean, to go from Swansea to um, to Bangor, so from the south southwest of Wales to the to the northwest of Wales, you ha- and, and you put on Google Maps to take you to there via public transport. It takes you via Shrewsbury. <laughs> I was in Shrewsbury on Wednesday yeah. for for torsion, and that that is very out of the way. Yeah, it, you have to literally go via England to get to get to another part of Wales that is the level of which i mean if you if you live in in places like that are you going to feel like the london the political system actually cares about you no mm. and so uk uk unity is being ripped apart by the absolute lack of care for people in those in those areas yeah and so it's 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 happening across all things like so it's there's that there's the london versus anti london division there's age division there's yeah yeah there's all sorts of like different political leaning everything's getting wider and wider it's just a, it's actually yeah a very scary time and to see how wide Every, how far apart everyone's opinions on things are. Mm. Like now, people are more, more ex, well, not extreme. Actually, they're more, they're more. They've doubled down on certain opinions, which aren't actually even extreme. They're just mm. opinions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, politics has gotten so broken that you're either with us or, or against yes. us, and it's it's just been so polarized. And the politicians yeah. are trying to make it as polarized as possible yes. because they know that if polit- if politics stays polarized, well, to quote um, Littlefinger from Game of Thrones, <laughs> chaos is a ladder. Um, they they know yeah. that if we if we stay in this absolute chaos, I mean, Barry, um, Mike, Michael Gove, um, Boris Johnson, all these figures have and um, Jacob Rees-Mogg have all used this yes. chaos to become national yeah, figures. They they become popular on their own side, and yeah. I think that's, that's, that's yeah, that's quite a exploitative thing. And I think yeah, a lot of it is that because like the referendum itself created this this choice between two very different things, <laughs> and the idea that whichever one got fifty point one percent of the population agreeing with it, that was the thing we have to do. And yeah. if you think about any decision in real life, like let's say you lived in a flat with ten people, or eleven people, and six people really wanted this thing and five people didn't, you wouldn't just go ahead and do it. You would find a compromise. You wouldn't create that option of just like, oh, this is the thing which will just yeah. <laughs> really appeal to one group and then the other group will really hate. And so we are but all our politics the way the voting works, it is all about 50%. It's all about the, the one pie, which gets slightly more, and then, okay, everyone else has to deal with that pie. But it, but there's a screwed up thing. They keep saying that, I mean, Michael, Michael Gove says that 
even suggesting that there might be a new referendum is calling people stupid. Whereas in, in 2016, let's yeah. be really, really clear on this, Brexit was four words, leave the European yeah. Union. Right now, it's a 585-page yeah. treaty. It just, it's a fundamentally <laughs> different question. It's just such a crazy world. We're actually being, yeah, we actually got sucked into it <laughs> in the first place. The politicians just decided, that, okay, that was the best option for their own benefits. And companies as well. Companies... Mm on either side really pushed pushed it and yeah everyone just now is now has an opinion on it because it's become such a symbol mm. it's become a symbol for that division so ken what do we have to look forward to in your show on tuesday uh so yeah there'll be a lot of basically hungover people making fools on themselves i think you'll if you if, if well, we don't we don't drink but <laughs> <laughs> people have ever had a hangover and thought oh the, what is the one thing i wouldn't want to do i'll get dragged into a, a game show and get have to answer questions about the last night and all that and drink well, that, that, that is a beautiful thing for people like us who don't drink. I mean, I, I, um, I got to see the worst uh, of, the, of what my, my, my uh, housemates had to go through in terms mm. of alcohol. And that's essentially my role in the show. <laughs> I'm doing that. Well, I, I, one, of my, one of my flatmates once came home late night at 3 a.m. in the morning, stumbled up the stairs. I heard him. I had to carry him up, put him in his bed, um, tuck him under, under, the, under the sheets. And then he, his laptop was on the, on, the, on the computer chair, on the swivel chair next to his bed. And so I put that on the table. I was like, don't kick that while you're sleeping. Um, and he put it back. I was like, all right, no, dude, he needs to go. On the, he needs to go on the table, and he put it back. And then I was like, all right, fine, screw it. In the morning, I come, I come round when when he's completely hungover. He's on the phone to PC World trying to figure out how to get piss out of a laptop. <laughs> So I'm, uh, I'm hoping for similar shenanigans uh, on, 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 I wish, on the hangover I wish there was games. Coiling up companies, that would be great. <laughs> Pissing a laptop, that, that's, that's what we need. for. If there's an X series, that would be the... But Ken Cheng, thank you very much. Your, your show, The Hangover Games, is on uh, on Tuesday at... E, e, uh, 10 and 10 p.m. 10 p.m. on E4. Excellent. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Foobar Radio presents... We're joined now by Jamie Hensley. My only knowledge of Union J was I thought they were a pretend band in Kick, kick Ass. And this yeah. is, right, so I didn't know it was Kick Ass. No, absolutely, nor did the whole world. And then our management and our label were like, oh, by the way, you're going to be in Kick Ass. And I was like, how? What, how on earth are you going to fit us in? I think basically they wanted One Direction. I think One Direction got a little bit too big to do it. So they're like, right, so let's get another boy band. But wasn't really going to do anything for us okay. to broaden our horizons. But I think we missed a trick of going over there and promoting it, being like, oh, yeah, we are a British band. Yeah. Everyone just thought we were actors playing a cheesy boy band. That's what I thought. Every Monday. Ian Boltzworth. From 2 p.m. Fubar Radio. Primary school children in the UK are to be taught compulsory lessons about gay and transgender relations, despite a petition now signed by thousands demanding an opt-out right. It's part of a plan by the government to overhaul sex education in the country generally, but the decision has provoked fiery debate. It's about um, promoting homosexuality. They should learn about it at an older age, not right now, because they can easily get influenced. They teach kids uh, to stay with boys and boys, and that's not a good thing. It's uh, opposite to our religion. We don't like it. The Equality Act obviously clearly says you can't discriminate against religion and whatnot. And that's what they're doing. It's 99% Muslim. It's not about being Muslim. The, the Jewish community, the other communities, the Christian communities, they all have issues around the, the way things are being done. We said all parents are on board with it, but the reality is no parents are on board with How it. How old is your child? Ten. And they're coming home and what, what they're saying to you? 
they what they they confused about homosexuality. We have nothing against Mr. Moffat. We we we're as British as they come. You know, we we respect the British values and everything. But the problem is, he's not respecting our ethos as a community, as you know, as one. He, they say we work with the parents, we listen to the parents, but this is not what they're doing. Do you think it's right to promote LGBT in, in the classroom? I just don't see the point. Why we don't send our children to school to learn about LGBT? We send them to school to learn about math, science, and English. So yeah, um, that was people compl- complaining about homosexuality, LBT, LGBT issues being taught in sex education in school. Uh, um, okay, so we're joined by um, Dominique from uh, Ladies for Leave and also from Turning Point. Yep. Uh, and we're also joined by Jermaine Jackman, former um, winner of The Voice mm-hmm. um, and artist and activist. Yeah. Welcome to the studio. Thank you so much Thank for having much. me. Thank you. So, yeah, th- those people were complaining about teaching LGBT issues in school because then that will influence them or, or whatever. I'm, I'm, I'm curious about how many, how many gay people have been taught into being straight. If, if, they, think that, if they think that exposing um, heterosexual kids to information about being LGBT is going to somehow turn them all gay, I, I'm not seeing it happen the other way around. It seems that their logic might be slightly flawed. <laughs> um, well... Initially, I did have some reservations about um, this being introduced into the curriculum, uh, just because a part of it was teaching um, five and six-year-olds about things like gender identity, which I personally think that should be reserved for parents to um, explore with their own children rather than it being force-fed by the state. However, after seeing the video of the parents outside of the school chanting really aggressively, um, you know, in inferring that the head teacher was interfering with Islam, I do think that some form of basic uh, same-sex relationship education would be uh, necessary in that school um, after having seen the video, if yeah. I'm being honest. Jermaine? Uh, it brings, in, for me anyway, it brings into question uh, the role and the place of, of the Islamic faith in a, in a very progressive um, country that we have today um, and I know so many progressive Muslims um, and I think it's important that we are we, we are teaching our young people and our children about the world and about the people in the world and that we should love and respect one another despite how um, who they love and how they feel um, and I think it's important that young people if they wanted to get into any industry that they should learn and, and, ex- and learn to accept that from a very young age and I think it's quite I can't really put my mind into the to the bodies of those mothers and those those fathers, but mm. I think it's quite a, a dangerous precedent if we're starting to pull LGBT lessons from the curriculum because it's conflicting with faith. Yeah, one hundred one hundred percent. I mean, uh, the way we're taught about the world and, and people and, and gender roles and that sort of thing it forms how we are today. Um, I mean. Uh, this, this today, because it's International Women's Day, I tweeted about how the fact that we encourage our sons, our little boys, to pursue physical strength to a greater extent than we than we encourage our little girls, our daughters, to do that, it just emphasizes. It, it, it's basic. If you're a parent and you make that choice, you're basically pretty much saying, "I'm okay with one of you being less able to defend yourself in future." Um, and so, but where's that happened though? Pardon? Where's that happened? Like where girls are not encouraged to participate in sport. 
Oh, physical strength. There's a difference between physical strength oh, right. and, and as in, in be, terms of physical strength, like in terms of as in you, you tell your you, you tell your boys to grow up to be big and strong. That is that is, mm. happens to a significantly lesser extent with daughters. Well, just in society as a whole, anyway, mm. with with action figures and mm. and the world and the way the world is set up, it's it's basically promoting the idea of masculinity and how men need to be strong, have massive muscles mm. and very be very manly and women um, should be in the kitchen. Mm. I don't agree with it because mm. um, I took up food technology guy because I love cooking. Mm. Um, but it, wh- where do we stop? Where do we start and where do we stop? I think, I think that's a bit of an exaggeration if I'm being honest. I think we've seen currently that there is a lot more encouragement for women to be strong. So, uh, for example, there are a lot more strong female characters in the media. I mean, I'm not sure where I've seen the narrative that women should stay in the kitchen in 2019. Um, I think that's a bit of an example. You can see it on the commercials. You you see it on TV. You you see it in soap operas. You see it on a daily basis. I don't agree with it. I think the the narrative needs to change. Mm. And I think it should be across the board. Um, Everyone can be in the kitchen, regardless if you're a man or a woman. And you can pursue to be a strong um, weightlifter if you're a man or a woman. Or carry, or be able to pull a a plane. You know, when they've got the world's strongest men, what about the world's strongest women? And shout out to all my women on International Women's Day. Just wanted to put that out there. (laughs) Exactly. I mean, the the image of, of of the ideal woman is always significantly... Le- well, it's significantly less likely to have m- muscles or, or or be appear physically strong in the media than what you would expect of your typical male male man. Well, that's because men aren't actually stronger than women, though. Yeah, but I, I, again, but the the fact is, it's disproportionately so. If men, if men and women were taught to pursue physical strength from an early age to the same extent, that there would be there would still be a difference, but it would be a smaller difference. Um. I just don't know. I think that it's a bit exaggerated. I mean, we see more women in university uh, than boys, especially in education. It's white working class boys that are a greater disadvantage as girls. Um, For example, even the Gillette advert, where that was a strong message uh, to men, um, really quite against masculinity, in my opinion. But, you know, I think that does demonstrate that there are big steps that we're taking as a society to kind of combat that skewed perception mm-hmm. of oh, yeah, gender. We're, we're, definitely taking, we're definitely taking but steps. But then do, uh, do situations such as removing LGBT lessons from the curriculum, does that then take us a step backwards? Mm. Yeah, I think um, in a way it does just because of the reaction of the parents. I think that the government should stand with the school mm. um, on this issue because uh, you know, ultra conservative uh, religion in the UK doesn't really have a place. We are a liberal country, and I do think that the government should stand with the school on yeah. that issue. Agreed. Agreed. And, Agreed. And, it's, and it's obviously, it's not just ultra-conservative Islam. There's also ultra-conservative Christianity. Yeah. And I've actually got a, a, a thing about um, Christianity because I, I was um, staunchly Christian until about the age of 21. Mm-hmm. And so I basically found a way of um, uh, reconciling my not wanting to be um, homophobic with my Christian faith. And that was basically by saying that if we accept that homosexuality isn't a choice um, because who would choose to be something that faces so much stigma that we had to invent a literal word for it. Then if we were to call homosexuality a sin, then that would mean that sin is something that can be involuntary and permanent. Now, if sin is something that can be involuntary and permanent, then what the hell did Jesus die for? Mm -hmm. The whole point of Jesus dying was to remove sins, which means that logically, within the scope of Christianity, it doesn't actually make sense to call homosexuality a sin. Do you describe yourself as a Christian? I was, I was, up until about um, the age of 21. And what do you describe yourself as now? I guess 
I mean, the logic behind intelligent design still holds true for me. Um, mm-hmm. So I guess there's probably something, but I haven't been able to pin it to a particular religion yet. I'm, I'm like you. I, I say I'm very spiritual. I'm very faithful, yeah. very spiritual. I believe there's a higher being. And I believe that there's a there's a there's a afterlife and there's a grand scheme. Mm. There's a much there's a much bigger thing happening in play. Mm. Um, all the nuts and bolts and the and the the detail of the Bible. I'm a bit mm. yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah. the overall message of love and respect needs to come through. Mm. And I think that, that it's spoken about in every single religious book, yeah. every single faith. And I think especially with this um, situation with the LGBT lessons, mm. it needs to come through with that. Yeah. Focus yeah. on love and respect of other people whether you see yourself as gender neutral whether you're trans whether you're a lesbian gay whatever mm. love and respect is first and foremost and you're not fighting people to try and get it off the curriculum what are you so insecure about what are you so scared about yeah, exactly what are you yeah. so scared about exactly. and that's, that's my question what are those parents why are they so insecure and what are they scared about yeah, and sure. it actually it shines a light on people's internalized homophobia mm. oh no I'm not homophobic oh, but I don't want my child learning about LGBT well no that can't you can't put it in the same sentence yeah exactly sorry so we did actually a poll um, uh, the UK is more divided than ever what is the solution um, so we had 1% of people saying that there should be a team huddle um, <laughs> three, uh, politi- uh, 3% saying that politicians should just buckle up mm-hmm. uh, 16% just said well I guess we just should go with Mars then yeah. um and then 80% supported a another referendum. Now, that might have been skewed because I retweeted it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it might have been. Right. <laughs> so I was part of the 16% for going to Mars because I'm like, mm. I'm ready to jump shit. <laughs> I'm just ready to go. Okay. Uh, Monique, what would you, Dominic, Dominic uh, what would you say is the answer to um, the divisions in the country right now? Um, in terms of Brexit or just anything? Anything. Well, yeah. Let's, let's, let's go with the political d- discord, so which is largely sort of around, around Brexit. What do you think is the best way to heal those divisions? I think the best thing for politicians to do to heal the divide in the country would be to listen to the people. Mm. And in my opinion, well, not even in my opinion, just factually, the people voted to leave the EU. Mm. And I think there's a lot of, you know diving around the issue trying to worm our way out of it you know Mm. the people want this the people want that oh old people controlled the referendum so therefore we need a new one because some of them are dead Mm. that kind of thing that is just making people infuriated and especially if the prime minister does uh, decide to extend article 50 not to implement changes to the backstop but simply to long the decision making process process out even further that isn't what people want. What people want, people want the politicians to just get on with it and deal with the decision that was made in 2016. In my opinion, so, so in 2016, the referendum ballot paper said leave the European Union. Yeah. It was four. It was four words, very simple words. Um, and we've just negotiated. We've just spent a whole, well, two and a half years trying to find out exactly what that's going to entail. Um, so instead of it being four words, now it's now a 585-page treaty. Mm-hmm. a treaty that most people who voted for Brexit absolutely hate. Yeah. Because when we tour the country asking people who voted for Brexit what they wanted from Brexit, largely it was about sovereignty, control. Um, and we've now got a deal that does mean we leave the European Union, mm-hmm. but it means less sovereignty. Now, the reason why that's happened is because we signed a blank check in 2016. As I said, that we signed a contract and they wrote the term three years later and people don't like it. Now, the question was, it, it was made binary because they wanted to make it binary. But the question was, what relationship do we want to have with the other 27 countries of the EU? 
And we and our current relationship has a 48% approval rating, but we didn't know what the new relationship was going to be. Now, given that that new relationship has now been discovered, and it seems that there's opposition to it from both sides of the, of the divide, I think the most logical thing is to ask people what they think now. Because other, otherwise there's a risk that we go ahead with Brexit and it ends up with something that both Leavers and Remainers don't like. Well, I think um, that's a bit of a misunderstanding because at the end of the day, during the referendum campaign, it was set out clearly what that future relationship would look like by the official Leave campaign and both the uh, official Remain campaign as well. Hmm. Prominent Remainers said, you know, this is your vote and you only get one vote on this. You know, you need to come out, vote and Hmm. make your decision. And people made that decision. It's the politicians in Parliament who you know, can't seem to fathom why people would vote to leave the EU that are making this process increasingly difficult. I mean, you've got Remainers like Anna Subri, who has a Leave constituency, yet at every turn she sought to frustrate negotiations and for, to frustrate the Brexit process, yet in the same breath she's gone off to join the independent group. Well, surely your constituents should also have a people's vote, seeing as the circumstances have now changed on your opinion of the Conservative Party and their policy of Brexit. Surely that's what, what, hypocritical. You mentioned that the the official Leave campaign made it very, very clear what Leave would look like. Yeah. Um, Michael Gove, one of the key figures of uh, Vote Leave, said, um, in fact, he said, uh, well, during the referendum, he said that we would have a free trade and fair cooperation arrangement. Um, and a couple, about a week and a half ago on Mar, he said, um, you're talking about no deal. This was never about no deal. We were always, during the referendum, campaigning for a deal. That is the head of the, of the Vote Leave campaign. And then you've got uh, Daniel Hanan, one of the chairs of Vote Leave, who also said, absolutely nobody he's talking about threatening our place in the single market. So we've got the, the, the key figures of the official Leave campaign saying that Brexit was always going to be about can, a deal. Can, can I just jump in? Mm-hmm. Um, throughout this whole entire conversation, um, the Brexit conversation, mm. people said things they didn't know what they were talking about. Mm. Um, people were being a part, were trying to be a part of a thing that they didn't know what actually meant. No one actually knew what Brexit actually meant before the referendum, during the referendum, and after the referendum. No one actually knows. And I said this on this radio station when I was last here, mm. that it should have never been, do you want a Theresa May Brexit or a Jeremy Corbyn Brexit? It should have been a Team UK Brexit. Mm. It should have been across political parties. Everyone comes sit around the table. What do we want out of this? We signed up to this EU together. We will leave this EU together. Mm. And we can make sure that every region of this country can benefit from Brexit. It's It's... It's gone down the wrong route. We never had a conversation. And this is the culture within Britain, in my opinion anyway. Mm. We don't ever conversate about things, mm. about issues. We brush them underneath the carpet and just try and turn the blind eye and hope that somehow it will go away. But then it piles up, piles up, piles up. And this is why a part of me, a large part of me and a grown part of me is supporting a second referendum. It's about, okay, we can no longer decide for ourselves in Parliament. We need to have a conversation with the rest of the population Mm. and say, have we got this right? If we haven't got it right, tell us what we need to do. There should be another department set up, the people's policy. Mm. I've already dreamt about this and thought about this, the people's policy, where they contribute to what they want to see in this Brexit deal. It's coming from the people. But Mm. do you understand that that has happened um, in other countries as well? This is a trend when it comes to the European Union with referenda. When there's a decision that they don't like, they make people vote again. Who makes people vote again? We've seen it. Who makes people vote again? Uh, the, the government, the pro-EU government and the European Union also encourages it as well. We've seen it in Denmark, we've seen it in Ireland, we've seen it in France. We've seen it in lots of other countries where a decision is ignored 
and people are made to vote again. But we've already established that it is possible to leave the EU on terms that most Brexit voters don't like. Now, no, but you've got to understand that this is, this is something that a Remainer Prime Minister has pushed onto Parliament to appease both sides. You talked about um, cross-party consensus. This has been attempted numerous times and all sides are pushing things that you know they want without actually wanting to actually compromise. I think the Malthouse uh, compromise was a step towards that. So um, people conceded that, you know, yes, we will have to be continuing to pay um, money to Brussels. However, you need to sort out the issues with the backstop. And the EU has made it clear that, you know, they don't want to compromise with that. So for me personally, I think the next step is to uh, pursue no deal. There is so no e- 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 even even though the vast majority, yes. e- even though Sorry. even though we, even though so in this conversation you've said the Leave campaign, the official Leave campaign, made it very very clear what Leave would look like, and I just pointed out that the heads of the Leave campaign all said we leave with a deal, well, and now you're let's saying and now you're saying sorry can I finish can I finish so can I finish. You, it's, you said that the Leave campaign made it very, very clear what it would look like. Well, they did. And, I, and then I said that, and I pointed out how the Leave campaign made it very, very clear we'd be leaving with a deal. Now, you, now you're saying that we should leave with no deal, which means you're supporting, some, you're supporting something that you know the Leave campaign was not promising. Because every, everybody wanted a deal, and that deal would, that deal would um, materialise itself into you know, continuing to trade with Europe, continuing to be close friends with Europe, but not being stuck in Europe, which is what this deal actually does you know it you know keeps us effectively in the customs union which is something david cameron who was the head of the official remain campaign said would not happen he said leaving the european union means leaving the single market and members and leaving, of the, and members and of the leave campaign said the opposite the customs union they didn't say the opposite uh, well, a lot Niger of prominent Niger members Niger such, as boris, such as boris johnson said that we would be leaving the customs union and leaving the single market theresa may who is a remainer herself said that what people wanted for brexit was leaving the customs union and leaving the single market and what her deal actually does is, well, she says it does one thing, but then it does another because effectively we'd be stuck in a customs but, union indefinitely. But A, as, I've just, as I just mentioned, Daniel Hanan said we stay in the single market. Nigel Farage said, it, said wouldn't it be terrible if we were like, he no way... He wasn't part of the official leave campaign. Okay, but Daniel Hanan was one of the chairs of, of the vote leave campaign, so he said we'd absolutely definitely be staying. But my main point here is... This is about the divisions in the country. Now, when we tour the country, we find out that one of the large reasons why people voted for Brexit was because we have a deeply unequal country. Mm. We have a country that focuses largely on investment, investment in Westminster, and we have a country that does not care about um, places like Hull, Sunderland, Swansea, Redcar. I could agree with that. Now, that is something that desperately needs to change. Yeah. Right. Um, and as I, as I mentioned before, people voted for Brexit largely expecting a deal because that was what, um, what, was, what was promised by the main campaign. Now, if you live in, in Sunderland, for example, an area that voted for Brexit, and you know that 70% of the cars that the Nissan factory there set, um, produces go to other EU countries, and you know that there are 35,000 jobs across the northeast that depend on that factory, and you know that if, if you were Nissan, if you own Nissan, and you can choose between having your factory in the UK, where 70% of your cars will then face a cost if there is a barrier between us and the EU or having in Frankfurt, where only 30% of your cars will face a cost. You know what happens to those jobs Mm -hmm. in those areas that voted for Brexit. Mm -hmm. So they need things to get better. They need need investment in their area. They need a better transport infrastructure. They need to get... HS2 is not what they need. They need east-west transport to actually fix their... A thriving northern powerhouse, a real economy independent of London. That is what they need. And right now, they're not getting it. 
right. I think those, those issues will still be there after Brexit. When we, mm. if, if we were to ever leave the EU, those issues will still be there. And, mm. and Brexit is just another one of those things that we're going to, okay, cool, everyone voted for this. We're just going to brush the issues under the carpet. Everything's been dealt with. No, people are still upset about immigration. People still feel neglected in parts of the country. Mm -hmm. People still feel ignored. People still feel like they're not part of the national conversation. Mm -hmm. It's about going out across the country, not just doing PR stunts that, the Ther that Theresa May is trying to do. It's not about saying, oh, I'm going to invest 1.9 billion mm -hmm. into, the north, um, into the north and other regions of the country because that was a joke in itself. I was going to say something else, but no. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I just feel like we need to have a proper conversation and... It's time to open up those wounds, the historical wounds. Yeah. I'm talking about not just Thatcher, but before Thatcher. Since Jarrow. It, right, it's about opening those wounds and talking about the issues that affect so many people around the country. And the, the reason why I was so hesitant to support a second referendum for so long, because you've never seen mm. me come out mm. in support, and a lot of people have said, Jermaine, why are you supporting a second referendum? <laughs> it's not until I left London to study at Leeds University mm. until I realised that not everyone in the country thinks like Londoners. Mm. And I was really conscious of the fact that it's easy for me as a Londoner to live in my London bubble and say, we need to remain, we, we, yep. there should be a second referendum. But there are people in the country who really hate the EU, who mm. really don't like the situation that they live in. Um, that, they, that they live in. And it's for us and it's for politicians to go out into those, country, those parts of the country and say, you know what, don't confuse your Tory walls with the EU. Mm. You're confusing the two. Mm. You're, you, you're confusing Thatcher with the EU. You're confusing the damages that she's made to, to the North with the EU. Let's have a proper conversation. Let's have real investment in those areas. And, and let's raise those families that, and those hardworking people up and out of poverty that and is deprivation. The, that, is the only way that, that is the only way this country fix. We need, we need serious investment in those areas because the, the narrative that we, ha we have to have is a project hope. Enough project fear. Those people feel that they have mm -hmm. nothing left to lose. Mm -hmm. What they need is investment in, in, in those areas. That's the only way so, we, can, we can possibly move forward. Um, Guys, thank you very, very much for, um, for, for coming on this show. This has been... Thanks for having me. It's, it's really essential because our, our country is so divided. And, and, and I think you'll agree with me. If Brexit stops and we have a bunch of cocky Remainers going on TV saying we won... Oh, we're screwed. We need yeah. to have a national mm -hmm. conversation where we treat each other with respect. It, Remember that we all want the same thing. It won't yeah, stop with Brexit. It will not stop with Brexit. Yeah. It will continue. And it, in my opinion, things will get worse. Well, I, do, I mean, I'm not sure things will get worse because at the end of the day, the thing that would make things worse is actually people have voted once and then you going back to them and telling them to vote again because the real the real aim of uh, um, forcing people to have a second referendum would be to remain in the European Union, would it not? Well, given that um, we, given that we have a, a, a leave option, well, leave option we spent three years negotiating is something that most people who vote that, for Brexit but don't, for many don't leavers, like. That's not a leave option. A majority of people in the Tory party would prefer no deal. And there is like no majority a, for like a second on, referendum would, in Parliament What would you like either? to see on a second referendum? I would like to see, if there were a second referendum, I don't want one, I would like to see either Theresa May's deal or no deal and go from there. If people decide that they want Theresa May's deal then okay but if people decide that they want no deal then in my opinion that would be great and that's something that i would be involved in campaigning for okay guys thank you very much for thank coming you, on Femi. the show thank you very thank much for coming you. on the show um that was um dominique and jermaine J jermaine jackman thank you very much for um for, for, for being here uh we've got a couple of tweets and um, we've got um milk mickey stand up for brexit who says respect the democratic choice and get on with brexit we've also got neil um who says and also i think you mean more visibly divided. I don't think the Brexit vote particularly increased division. It just drastically highlighted it. Mm. I think that's 100% true. true. Right. Um, so we've got um, a clip here from Annie Lennox on International Women's Day. Have a listen. On the 8th of March, we celebrate International Women's Day. 
It's a day that acknowledges the amazing accomplishments of women from all over the world. It's a significant day for all women that have been working to try to make change in, in terms of gender equality all around the world. And it's a day when we can gather together, we can have events, and we can give the focus to the fact that there is so much disparity all around the world in terms of empowerment for girls and women. The women's movement is a global movement that has been going on since the suffragettes' time. Yeah. And each one of us can become an agent for change in your own way. This term, feminism and feminist, has had a lot of difficulty for, for many people that yeah. would like to say they were feminists but can't, don't feel confident. I, I was kind of in that place when I was a younger person. But for years now, I've said I'm very comfortable with the term feminism, mm. you know. But of late, I've understood that this, uh, this glorious term, global feminism, which actually is an inclusive umbrella t term that can include everyone from every walk of life, every gender, sexual orientation, and boys and men. Mm. So that a man who maybe feels uncomfortable, you know, he agrees with feminism, but he may be saying, mm, maybe I can't say because maybe I'm not welcome. No, you're welcome. And you can call yourself a global feminist. Yeah. Learn, know the facts, know the stats, and help support women to uh, evolve and to have their lives, change, change their lives, tra transform their lives for themselves. Welcome back. So that was um, Annie Lennox um, on International Women's Day, something that is um, really, really important because we still have a lot, a long way to go. And somebody who would probably agree with, uh, agree with me on that is Angela Haggerty, who we've got on the phone. She's a Scottish journalist. Hello, Angela. Hello. Hello. Good afternoon. <laughs> good afternoon. I'm good. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. I'm okay. <laughs> um, so what would you say about the state of UK politics right now? It's a catastrophe. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty blunt. That's pretty blunt. What makes yeah, it a catastrophe? I mean, it's an absolute catastrophe, and I don't think uh, that people understand quite how serious it is because obviously we're all fixated on Brexit, and mm. is there going to be a deal? Is there not going to be a deal? Um, and that that's that's relevant at the moment, given the the, the situation that we're in. Mm. But there will be no return to normal after this. The UK can't return to normal because the UK has is in a process of changing beyond recognition, I think. And we see, we have seen a lot of this in the last few years due to the Scottish independence question um, up here in Scotland. And it's, it's clear to me that the, the, the kind of lines of division that we have now in the UK are not what they were traditionally. It's no longer about left-right. We're, we're dealing with um, issues of sovereignty. Um, mm. And I think that, that it's, it's not possible for the UK to return to normal politics. I don't think, though, that the politicians actually get that. Because it's astonishing to me how quite often, uh, you know, politicians from Westminster, so they're predominantly kind of London-based, um, and it is a London bubble, they mm. have such little understanding of what the mood in Scotland is like and the issues that we're dealing with up here. Um, that I, 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 If I was a unionist, I would be very, very worried because I don't think they understand the the true nature of all of this. And if they don't understand it, then I think that the, the chances are that Scotland is going to become an independent country, that it will vote for independence. Um, and I would be looking at places like Northern Ireland as well, where you know, you're starting to see more of a feeling towards Irish reunification as a result of everything that's been going on. So it's not, it's not just about Brexit. The question needs to be, what happens next? And I don't think that the current crop of politicians that we have are equipped to deal with it. Oh, 100%. I mean, if, if I was a Scottish nationalist, 
I would be kicking the fuck off right now because um, <laughs> after after what happened in 2014, where we basically, well, David Cameron, we uh, went to Scotland and said, you need to vote to stay in the UK because otherwise you might have to leave the EU. And then exactly. two years later, we're dragging you out of the EU. It's absolutely un- unforgivable. And so if, 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 we, if, we, if Brexit does actually happen, yeah, as you, as you say, unionists should probably be very, be very, very worried. Yeah, I think so. And, and and like I say, I don't really think that um, that they understand how serious the situation is. Now, in Scotland, we've got, um, you know, we have our own parliament. And the parliament has already voted through, you know, it's already given the first minister, Nicola Sturgeon, permission to ask for a second independence referendum. Now, the problem is that Westminster has made it pretty clear that it's going to say no to that. So we're going to find ourselves in a situation where our parliament... With with uh, politicians in it democratically elected by the people of Scotland and representing the people of Scotland, we're going to find that our parliament is then being told that it can't do something as monumental as this. And at that point, democracy has then failed. Well, and I don't know what happens after that. I'm I'm concerned about that because you're 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 in the realms of a, de- a democratic standoff there with Westminster, Westminster just saying no. And that can't that you know the, the SNP aren't going to just back down and say oh well okay then we asked it will escalate from there and I don't think anybody really knows what territory that's going to take us into or how we deal with it. Well, I mean one of the things that um, that I've discovered in the last uh, in the last few months is that I mean your stereotypical um, Brexit voting area is an area that has had very little investment from uh, Westminster, an area that um, has mm-hmm. seen industries close. And people often just think about that in terms of like your northeast England's, your your southwest, your Wales. But there are many towns like that in Scotland that have the same, um, same anger at a, at a political system that isn't working for them, but they simply knew to blame Westminster rather than Brussels. And so, yeah. and so, the same anger exists there. Not just the anger in terms of um, Scotland um, being basically overruled um, by Westminster, but also in terms of the fact that the same pol- political frustration that led to the Brexit vote exists there and is still being frustrated. Absolutely, and I see a lot of parallels. There's obviously a lot of differences as well um, between the Scottish independence uh, debate in question and what happened with Brexit. But what you also find is that in Scotland, you know, we knew that we were going to be having this referendum in 2014. And for two years before that, we were having uh, incredible conversations in Scotland. It absolutely dominated everyone. Uh, people were talking about it at work. They were talking about it in their social circles. And there were meetings on in every town across Scotland where people could go and find out more. And people, it led to a, a, a sort of a, a kind of a personal reflection for many people who had never really questioned how they feel about any of this. Mm. Um, and so the nature of that was, uh, you know, you hear a lot about division, but listen, you know, you had to be in Scotland. It was actually quite beautiful. People that had never had an interest in these things suddenly getting involved in their communities and thinking, do you know what, we actually could change this, we could change it and here's how we could do it. The Brexit campaign was so different and it was the arrogance of David Cameron that I just find incredible. Mm. I mean, what, what, what was the campaigning period? Like six, eight weeks or something? Yeah, yeah. I mean, how could you possibly have got to grips with the 
issues that people were, were going to be dealing with there. It didn't get to grips with any of the issues. And here we are two years later, and I think some people are only really now just starting to understand exactly you know, how the EU works and what this, act, what this means, what they actually voted for. So we've seen some, some massive differences, I think, um, and what we found in, you know, in Scotland as well, that, that another key difference, I think, with Brexit it, and something that has set us apart, you know, we're talking about things like sovereignty and nationalism, and that scares a lot of people. And I was one of those people, you know, mm. years ago, I would have been on the no side for that, for that reason and that reason alone. Mm. Um, but in Scotland, for example, I, I didn't even vote in the independence referendum because I had moved to London just, just mm. a few months before it for work. And the rule was that if you lived in Scotland, you had a vote. It mm. didn't matter where you came from. It didn't mm. matter if you hadn't lived in Scotland all your life. If you lived in Scotland at that moment, then it affected you and you had a vote. Now that was, and so, so I respected that. I thought that was right. I didn't feel like I was entitled to vote because I am Scottish and mm. my ethnicity. It wasn't about that. It was about practical thinking. Whereas in the Brexit vote, you know, we, we, we were having a vote that was going to affect you know, all the lives of the EU citizens. Yeah. Some of them have been living and working here for years. The people years most affected family. by this didn't have a say. Exactly, and they couldn't get to vote. So there was a much more ethnic kind of nationalism, I think, at play in Brexit mm. that we didn't actually have in Scotland. And I think that there's you know, some real key differences in, in the tone and the direction that the societies are going in. Um, but I have to say, you know, I do laugh sometimes when, you know, people often would look at the Scottish independence question as being the thing that could be the catalyst for the the, the breakup of the United Kingdom, you know, the, the collapse mm. of the, the, the British Empire in full. And actually what we've seen is that it's the people of England <laughs> and the way that they've used their vote yeah. that may indeed be that catalyst. And that's a really fascinating thing that probably nobody would have saw coming. Absolutely. absolutely. Uh, regarding the notion of, of Scottish, um, Scottish independence, my view's always been that Scotland should be as independent as, as Scotland wants to be um, in terms of constitutional powers, devolution. However, I, I learnt to walk, speak, read, write in Dundee. My first crush was in Dundee. My, my, the first, oh. my, 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 first, my first memories were in Dundee. So the idea of anything that creates a barrier between the people of England and the people of Scotland is something that I don't want to happen. So, sure. I mean, what's what's your general view on on what on what should happen in terms of Scottish independence regarding? Yeah, I, I understand that and I relate to that, and I think that a lot of people who would have been no voters in Scotland also felt that way. Mm. Um, that the, the idea that you were separating from something just didn't sit well with people, but mm. they were won over in those arguments with the with, with the understanding that that's not. We're, we're not dividing ourselves along sort of uh, ethnic nationalistic lines here and putting, you know, this is purely about Scotland just being able to make its own choices over like political and financial matters and all of those things. And I too, you know, I've, I've lived, I've worked in England, um, I've got family in England, so mm. there's, I, 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 I'm kind of saddened by the thought of that separation, but at the same time, you know, we would be neighbours and we would continue to trade with each other and we would continue to have close links. I don't think anyone in Scotland would want this to be a, a sort of a hostile separation. I don't think it needs to be that. But the, the truth is that the system is not working and, and, and a bit of kind of sadness over, the, over that separation isn't strong enough 
for people to just be able to ignore that. The system isn't working. The system is broken. The, the democratic mechanisms in the UK are not working for all of the people of the UK. And that's true for Scotland. But it's also true for, you know, those places like you mentioned, you know, those high Brexit leaves um, mm. towns, you know, places in the north of England, they feel as detached mm. from Westminster as, as we do. And people in Northern Ireland and Wales, you know, you can't keep ignoring this. Yeah. And and the thing is, I think politicians think that they can keep ignoring it. And yeah, and well, just to, just to move on to one other issue regarding inequality, um, International Women's Day. Um, what would you, if you were to say one thing regarding International Women's Day and, and promoting the, the 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 cause for feminism, what would you say? Keep fighting. <laughs> Keep fighting. Keep fighting. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And Angela Haggerty, thank you very much. And thanks also to Dominique and Jermaine. Um, this has been The Floor Is Yours. And uh, happy International Women's Day. This will be available on Spotify after the show. See ya. You've been listening to a FUBAR Radio podcast. For more information, go to foobarradio.com.